What's up? I think that's it. Me, you, me, you, me, you, me. Hello. Us. Hey. What's up? What up? Anyone on? Uh, it says three watching. Why are you watching and not talking? <laughs> Come on. It's Carmen. What's up, Carmen? I am not a spy. <laughs> Prove it. I'm just kidding. So good to see you, Carmen. Oh, so in the Discord, Carmen said that she saw us at the Greenville show. No way. Carmen, did you go out and get pizza with us after that? That was the Asheville show oh. that we went out and grabbed pizza with a few folks. Oh, okay. But uh, both were great times. The Greenville show was a huge show. We did, had a lot of people. Did you come up to us and say hey or something? I, I'm trying to remember, put a face to a name. But I'm, you know, I'm glad that you uh, found us again. That was a really good one. Greenville one, you know. It was. That one was fun. What is this? Hey, Brandon. What's up, Brandon? What is all this shit in here? Uh, yeah, let me know, Carmen. That's cool, though. So you're right up there by Brandon. Brandon's in uh, Easley. My, my parents live in Easley. Mm -hmm. They were at that show. And uh, yeah, I was I was trying not to disappoint them, basically. But, you know, with that show. Yeah. Do you think they were disappointed? No. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Uh, man, I, I, I would love to come back up there. Thomas Creek was really nice to us. They had a huge, a huge uh, area. Yeah, it was a great place to they have a had, show. We would they, definitely do that again. They had great beer and and the, the owner was super nice. I, uh, I also see Martin has joined us. Shram has joined us. Wolfie has joined us. And Lauren has joined us. What's up, regulars? Yeah, if Talk Murder Me was a bar, here You'd we be go. The regulars. And you know, we would give you the friends and family family discounts, the shots for free and stuff, you know? Obviously. Hey, this one's in the house. I mean, that's like kind of what we do with our surprise shot dedications. Yeah. Like we'll do multiple for free. Yeah. You know? We're not above it. No. We're not Drake. Anyway, thanks everyone for being here. And, Very uh, excited to talk about Richard Ramirez again, kind of like in a. What do you mean, way. kind of? You know, like it's pretty gruesome stuff. So. Yeah, he is getting more and more progressively worse. Mm -hmm. Tonight's episode is the first time he kind of transforms, uses a kind of turns into a butterfly from a worm. What does that thing do? A <laughs> caterpillar in a cocoon. What are you talking? What are you? I don't fucking know. You're just. <laughs> talking you're just like seeing if someone reacts to something I know, right now dude i'm fucking oh i'm fishing you are fishing if you want to start us off with a quote from richard ramirez that would be lovely it's like nothing else you can explain its intensity in words to have that power over life nothing is more sexually exciting it's the ultimate something very few people experience so he's talking about killing tonight we're going to march 26th 1985. This is eight days after the last murder we were talking about. Remember the car garage, the eight seconds. She got shot in the face, but her key reflected it. Maria Hernandez. Yep. And then Dale Osaki is upstairs. And that is not how you say her name. I'm sorry. Uh, Okasaki is upstairs. She was shot in the head and she died. And then Richard Ramirez went out again on the interstate and found Veronica Yu. Remember they she confronted him on Alabama. Alhambra Street. Mm -hmm. So I'm just kind of recapping. recapping for us. Eight days later, March 26, 1985, the San Gabriel Freeway, again, another stolen Toyota. Now, this time he is on the hunt, but he's he doesn't have a plan yet. But I told you last time he gets this weird thought in his head and it's becoming to manifest into a plan. It's an idea at first, but 
he really thinks about the possibilities of it. And it seems like a pretty good plan. And it seems within his grasp. Do you know what I'm talking about? What he had planned to do? So he's a professional. Oh, he was going to go rob higher end homes, right? So, so, so he he would get more bang for his buck, if you will. And he would have more money. For what reason? His coke habit. Mm-mm. He gets this idea that he loves torturing people and he loves the bloodshed. He loves killing. But here's the problem. He only has a certain amount of time in which he can do it because he's got, you know, the cops come and all this shit. And then there's footprints and fingerprints, all this stuff. So. So he comes up with this idea that, you know, maybe I could do this in the privacy of my own home. I just obviously have to have a home and it's got to be way off the beaten path. And I'll just build a little torture studio. Oh, that's right. That's right. He wants to be able to lure his victims and have the privacy to do what he wanted. Exactly. So he gets that in his mind and he runs with it. And he's thinking about that while he's on the freeway. He's also like looking for other victims riding by. In the meantime. Yeah, but he is thinking about that recent thought. And he's like, you know what? Not too long ago, I was in the town of Whittier. It's a very upscale community. And I robbed a house there. And I noticed, yeah, it's an expensive house and they're rich, but I, the, the jewelry and the rare coins and the stuff that I fenced off from that house was equal to like three days of robbing low-income houses. Mm-hmm. We're talking about like 10 homes. A one wealthy house equals like 10 lower-class homes. Right, because the other ones didn't really have anything of value there to begin with. Exactly. Right. But there's more risk with upscale homes, right? Security, Security systems. Security systems, uh, police presence. Let's just be honest, no matter what part of the world you're in, if you're in a wealthy neighborhood, police are going to be more apt to respond there, you know, so the lower class apartment gets broken into. It's like, okay, yeah, we'll take a report, but that's about it, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's more risk, but you know, this risk could be worth this grand reward. He could actually have a place of his own and he could actually torture his victims in privacy. So, do you want to go back to the Google Earth? I mean, we did that last time to tease it, but why or Whittier, or do I need to go back there? No, you sure? Yeah, here, you know, it may be already on Google Earth. Let me see. Plus, I need to yell at Brandon again if this thing doesn't work. No, actually, I'm just kidding. I think Brandon is an integral part of our organization because that thing he said last time when I I think I called some random woman a bitch and then he immediately put out a press release. (laughs) (laughs) I was very impressed. (laughs) He is on it. Uh, So and I really appreciate that, too, because I sometimes we both called you out on it right away. Yeah, I I'm really surprised I haven't said something you know, more terrible. <laughs> but you have. Oh, <laughs> so have I? Let's, <laughs> let's be clear. You just don't care. <laughs> yeah. I think if you don't care too, people just are like, whatever. It's not like he's going to apologize for it. <laughs> no, they've clearly never met you. If that's what they're expecting. <laughs> All right. So this is Strong Avenue. This is where, and in the police report, I didn't find the actual address, but I know it's a one story home that they're living in. So it's not, I mean, look at this big old boy. Yeah. I mean, you think a, a um, actor lives there? I mean, it's wealthy. That's for dang sure. That is a nice ass house. Can it, Can you guys even imagine living? in there or something like that. You know, the guy I was working for had that $2 million house. And that thing was nice. You remember? 
in today's market, that was probably that's probably a five million dollar house. Jesus, yeah. I was really hoping to get on that, and I didn't. That didn't Sorry. come to fruition. You landed with me. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I got you. <laughs> uh, so you know, I think it's this one actually. The house is owned by a middle-aged couple, and they do have two bay windows in the front. So March 26, 1985, he remembers that he robbed a place not too long ago, not too long ago, and the profits were pretty great. So he goes back there. He goes back to the same location, which this guy in risk taking, he is taking a lot of risk by going back there. Mm -hmm. You're going to go back to the same house. You know how risky that is? Risky business. So... I mean, he is, he's making mistake after mistake. He already let the one witness go. He had an altercation. They found his hat. They're mm -hmm. finding his shoe prints. Mm -hmm. And one thing about this one we're talking about tonight, he wears a very rare shoe. Oh. He wears an 11 and a half Avia. Yeah. Is it Avia? I think so. Yeah. It's, it's a brand. running, it's a running shoe, but that style and that size, there was, I think only 60 made. 11 and a half is not an uncommon shoe size. I know, but for that brand and that that style at that time, there were very little made. Huh. Or at least in the area, right? Yeah. From a distribution perspective. And this is one reason why, because they'll find that shoe, if you're ever wondering why police don't want to put out information to the public, the newspaper got a hold of that information, put it out. The next day, Richard Ramirez took those shoes and threw them off the Golden State Bridge or Golden Gate. Is it Golden Gate or Golden State? Golden, Golden Gate. The next day, Richard Ramirez took those shoes and chunked them off the Golden Gate Bridge. Are you sure it's not Golden State. Gate. <laughs> So at 2 a.m., his lights are turned off. There's another stolen Toyota. And this is the home of a couple, Vincent and Maxine Zazara. They live on Strong Avenue. He's a retired CPA. He's obviously very well well to do with yeah. money. Mm -hmm. And they live in a single brick, half acre ranch style fence, orange lemon tree, grapefruit trees, and two large bay windows. Richard can see that the lights are on through the left bay window. He sneaks up there, cat burglar style because he's so good at that. He's wearing all black, number one. He's got black hair, a black hat on, mm -hmm. literally head to toe black, dark gardening gloves. He stealthily walks up there like he's been doing since he was a teenager. He peers into the window and sees Mr. Zazara, Vincent, passed out on the couch. It's 2 a.m. and this man was watching TV and he's out. Mm -hmm. He is a busy, busy man though. He owns two pizza restaurants in, in like the Hollywood area and they're always busy. And this dude is always, always working on these restaurants. Mm -hmm. Richard then walks around the back of the house. He wants to see who else is there. Now, he he's he didn't see this couple when he robbed them the first they time. They were at home. They weren't home. He does know that there's a woman there because he remembers stealing some of that jewelry and, you know, just walking into the bathroom, you see if there's a woman living there because the different hair products or what, whatever. Yep. So he knows someone else is there. He walks around to the master bedroom, which he knows exactly where it is because he's literally just robbed this place. And he looks in and he sees 44-year-old Maxine Zara asleep. It's 2 a.m. in the morning. She's passed out on the master bedroom. Now, she being a an attorney, still a practicing attorney, knows, well, number one, she's very vigilant. And number two, she knows always to keep those windows locked. And unfortunately for Richard Ramirez, they were locked. 
all except one. There was one that was almost too high to reach. It was around the back of the house. It is, it's, it's almost like a vent window. You see them in uh-huh. the washing machine dryer rooms and it's got small. Their, it's very small. Yeah. And who locks that? No, I mean, why would you lock that? No well, one locks that. Fuck, we would. I mean, the thing is 10 feet in the air mm-hmm. to get, you'd have to be a, some sort of, I mean, it would be very hard, but. Yeah, you'd have to be some tall, skinny, lanky man, Richard Ramirez, to do it. And you would have to stand on something. So he drags a barrel over there or a little buck. He he takes. So he like tries all the other windows and tests them out. Yeah, tries all of them. Yeah. Now his fingerprints aren't there because remember, he's wearing gloves. Mm -hmm. But he grabs a bucket. He puts it right in front of this window and he makes a jump for it. And he gets in. He gets in the window and slinkies himself down like the Grinch. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And as soon as he's in the washing drying room, he does what he always does since he was a teenager. He just sits still for a second and just lets the surrounding, you know, he can hear the TV and the den. Okay. They don't have any pets. Very quiet. It's very quiet in this neighborhood. You know, the dryer is still a little warm from a few hours ago. You know, he's just kind of getting the senses. He slips off his shoes because he's a prowler. Mm-hmm. And rubber shoes on the wooden floor makes noise. Socks don't. So now he's in his socks. He knows exactly where he needs to go. Like all killers that... Because he's been there before. Because he's been there before. But like all killers that break into a home like this, they know instinctively that they have to take care of the man first. They have to get the male figure taken care of and neutralized before they can claim their reward, which is sleeping in the other room. That's the first place he goes to the den couch. Mm -hmm. And he reaches in his waistband and pulls out that 22 caliber. The reason he likes the 22 caliber, as we talked about last time, it's a very small round. And that round goes into the skull and it doesn't exit in most cases at close range. It just bounces back and forth off the bone and it breaks the brain. It uh, shreds the brain, right? Lovely. So he's going to go right up to the sleeping Vincent and he's going to put that barrel 18 inches away from the forehead. And they know that because they're stifling on the skin. What stifling is, is the unburnt chemicals that were in the bullet, the uh, gunpowder that shoots out that didn't get ignited. Hmm. And it, it's, it, it could be, it could be washed off. It, it's not like a, it's not like an injury. It's just like powder. So you can wipe it off. But that's how you know he was shot in such a close range. So he just pulls that gun out right right to his forehead and pulls the trigger. Nicole's reading again from The Night Stalker by Philip Carlo. We're also reading from State of California versus Richard Ramirez, plus some newspaper clippings that I have. But she'll be reading a lot from the book. He aimed carefully and shot him in the left side of his head, just above the ear. Shocked and bleeding, Zazara tried to stand and grab the intruder with the gun, but the small caliber bullet zigzagged through his brain, cutting the cardioid cardioid artery. He lost his motor movement. His dying heart pumped. Blood shot out of the wound in squirts and hit the wall three feet away. I'll read the one from State of California. From the State of California versus Richard Ramirez, Coroner Joseph Cohen, MD, testified about the autopsies on the body of Vincent and Maxine Zazara. Vincent died from a gunshot wound to the left side of his head. Stipling around the wound indicated that the fire arm was fired at close range, a bullet fragment was removed from the victim's head. So, like I said, that bullet doesn't exit. He got up, though. The man of the house got up. Mm-hmm. And can you imagine that? As you read, shocked and bleeding, Cesara tried to stand and grab the intruder. 
what's going on up there chemically as his brain shutting like what it's mm-hmm. just it's uh, it's really terrible to think about you know what i'm saying yeah as that thing is bouncing back and forth like what's going on for for him to stand up you know it's just insane and richard ramirez obviously knows that the guy's dead yeah he, he's not gonna make it so it's not like i have to defend myself hey all i gotta do is step back a little bit yeah watch him fall on the floor oh it's pretty gruesome yeah and then then he rushed into the other room which which i understand because obviously the female of the house maxine she heard the shot it's two in the morning there's a gunshot even though it's a small caliber mm-hmm. but he rushed in the room just leaving this guy dead or dying yeah he's very fortunate that this guy didn't have a phone close to him i guess in nowadays it'd be easy to dial an emergency number but then he would have to walk to the phone mm-hmm. or whatever he rushes into the master bedroom just then maxine wakes up she is fresh from a dream and now she's in a nightmare this man slaps her now he's got the gun in his hand so he slaps her open hand but holding this gun so it just almost knocks her unconscious and immediately takes control of the scene with his voice he says shut up bitch shut the fuck up immediately he takes control he says where's the jewelry where's the money the madman forced her on her stomach and tied her hands together with a necktie he grabbed from a nearby closet he gagged her disabled the phones then began frantically to ransack the bedroom opening closets and drawers looking for valuables diamonds gold cash i think it's really interesting there what you said immediately like he has this planned out yes he's been doing this for a long time Mm -hmm. burglarizing not killing but the first thing he does bind the victim up so he looks for a necktie before he looks for anything else he's like okay this is the master clause i know there's a necktie in here boom perfect binds him up and then what immediately cuts the phone line like just right there he just knows how to do it he's got a system yeah the woman in the house is on the floor she is bound up hands behind her back now a little bit about maxine i mentioned she was an attorney Mm -hmm. she's worked on some very high profile cases and and being a female in the courtroom, being a female in the courtroom, you have got to be able to resist intimidation. Okay. She's used to it. All these big attorneys, these killers, whoever intimidating her. And now this guy, this slinky guy wearing all black who smells like total shit. And there's other abductions Richard Ramirez will do. And that's the one common denominator is that stench. You know, besides all the black, the stench of this man. He had stopped showering weeks ago. She's not going to let this guy get away with this. At this point, she's just bound up on the bed and this guy is making himself at home. He takes a pillowcase and starts stuffing stuff in there. All he's done to her so far is hit her over the head and yelled at her a few times. Like, I'm not going to take this. That's what she's thinking. There's one problem. I got to get my hands out from this necktie, which a necktie, I mean, that doesn't seem that bad. You could, could you could really stretch a necktie. A necktie could stretch, unlike, you know, a rope or something. So better than zip ties. And not only that, the first thing she thinks about is that 45 caliber that she carries in her purse. If she was to get mugged on the street, that guy's dead. He's She's going to pull out that 45 caliber and shoot him. The only problem with that is her purse isn't in this room. It's in the kitchen. But she does remember the last time a burglar. Now, she doesn't know it's this guy. I mean, maybe she kind of puts that together. The last time a burglar entered the home and ransacked the place, her husband got a shotgun. The 
the shotgun is the best thing you can have for home defense. Is a point in a general direction. You don't even really have to aim. If they're in a hallway, you point it down a hallway, it's going to hit them because the pellet, the pellets right. separate. So with that shotgun under the bed, she's on top of the bed, bound up. All she's got to do, get her hands free, roll over, grab the shotgun, stand up, the safety's off, shells are loaded, click. Maxine knew from her husband's labored breathing that he was dying, and she knew what was in store for her when her killer, when the killer finished looking for valuables. She wasn't about to let that happen. She wasn't going to let that happen. So, I mean, imagine, holy shit, it's still a scary situation, but now who's in control? The guy with a 22 caliber or someone with a shotgun fully loaded. Yeah, but she's got to get out first. She got to break free. She breaks free. She stretches. She stretches that tie. She is willing and determined to do it probably more than anyone else would be. And she gets free. Maybe he just didn't knot it tight enough. Or maybe when she was, you know, he was tying her hands, she kind of tried to make a little space in them. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like if I think if you're getting your hands bound, if you if you go like this and they bind them like this, you got to go like that you mean no if you go like this and they bind your hands like this that's preferred because then you can just flatten like, them that. like that and have some space you know hmm. whatever the case she gets her hands untied and immediately rolls out the bed barrel rolls on the floor reaches under grabs a shotgun before richard ramirez even knows what's happening he is still wrenching his way through the house stealing all the the finer things in life and shoving them into a pillowcase, right? She gets up and she points that thing in his general direction because she knows how to shoot it. She shot it plenty of times before. And then he turns around and now the tables have turned. So imagine what he is thinking. He's about to die. But he doesn't. He's about to die at this point. All she has to do now is pull that trigger. He is sitting there, just blood drained from his face in a state of shock. He can't even grab the gun out of his waistband. He's just... Like a ghost. She pulls back that trigger. (gasps) Click. (gasps) That metallic click. Her death sentence. Can you read that? Oh, my God. All the blood. All the blood ran out of his face. Fury burst inside him. Maxine had not known Vincent had taken the shells out of the gun because their grandchildren had been visiting the house that weekend. That's unfortunate. Not only for Maxine, Mm. but for all of the other victims to come. Maybe that wouldn't have killed him, but he wouldn't have done this anymore. Yeah, no kidding. He'd been in prison. Damn. And then they would have found out about the other murders and linked him. I mean, because they would have easily linked him at that point. The detectives on this case case formed a special task force because they knew that this, even though the MO is completely different, this is the same guy. That could have, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, grandchildren coming over. You know, who knows? The grandchildren, maybe they did play with that shotgun and, you know, maybe it having no shells in there saved one of them. Maybe their head would have been blown off. Either way, the grandchildren came over and Vincent emptied the shells and forgot about it because life goes on. I mean, who's going to rob the same place twice? Damn, 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 damn. Bitch! Fucker! It's loud. Sorry, I was doing it for effect. That's what it says in the book. (laughs) (laughs) That was real loud. Oh, shit. Sorry. I just blew out somebody else's (laughs) eardrums. No, no. It's only loud to us because I have compression on there, so it puts it at a reasonable level. (laughs) (laughs) Bitch! Motherfucker! He just came so 
effing close to death right there. He has been making mistake after mistake after mistake. But this, whoa, this was the one that he was like, okay, I need to stop doing cocaine. If I'm going to be serious, I can't do this anymore. This is, this was way too close. Way too close. Immediately, fuck, bitch, pulls out his 22 caliber. Now he's hurt, not physically, but he's disappointed. Why would someone try to kill him? It's It doesn't make sense. He pulls out that 22 caliber and he starts pumping, bow, bow, bow. All three shells were found in Maxine's body. Crazy, right? Mm -hmm. He realized at that moment that he was not in control. He got sloppy. He runs over there and starts kicking, slapping, punching in the face. He is, I don't know a better word for beyond furious, the most mad anyone has ever been. He is enraged, enraged with a demonic presence. The demons inside him are fucking pissed. And that is all coming out on her face after she's been shot three times. He realized right then he was not in control of that situation. He got sloppy and he also realizes he was bailed out. Why didn't that gun go off? He doesn't know about the grandchildren. So in his mind, he's making a like, why didn't she have shells in there? Like, was it safety on? What Did it jam? Satan bailed me out. Satan bailed me out. Mm. And he ain't fucking playing around with that shit. He's not going to waste the opportunity. He's no Satan to him. Helped him. Not helped him, bailed him out because he was stupid. And he risked all these other murders that are going to come and all these human sacrifices. He risked it and he almost fucked it up. And Satan had to come in. His boss, his employer came in, bailed him out. So now what? He's got to repay Satan. It's very important. The psychology is super important as mm-hmm. you're about to see why. Because he doesn't stop. He needs to repay Satan because... At this point, he is, he knows he fucked up. He knows Satan is not happy. He knows he's being sloppy. And how can this man wreak havoc on mankind, the city of angels, if he continues to make these stupid fucking mistakes? The killer knows he had to make this up to his master and he he needs to make things right and right now. He hurried to the kitchen, found a sharp 10-inch long knife, and returned to her, picked her up, put her on the bed, raised her purple nightshirt, and began to cut her heart out. It's not just that he's pissed. He's got to, he's got to deliver something for his boss. And he is expecting, he is expecting everything at this point. Everything. Heart, a soul, anything. A soul would be better, but how are you going to get that, right? So the heart, she's still alive. She's dying. He's carving at her chest, trying for her heart, yearning for this heart like she's some vampire and you just got to pull it out. He is trying, but he is not skilled at anatomy. He's no Jack the Ripper. Even though, now that you said that, I kind of want to sprinkle in some of his childhood. As a young boy, he was obsessed with Jack the Ripper. Huh. The Jack the Ripper case. He's obsessed with not just the cutting and the... Not not just with the cutting out of the guts, but also of the all black and the fog, the London fog and the creeping. All of that combined. It's not just the killing. It's the whole image of this guy, right? Interesting. She's still alive and he's not skilled at anatomy and he had trouble cutting through the rib cage. What the fuck is this? These bones right here? He takes a breath and then he realizes that, no, Satan, my boss doesn't want the heart. That's why he's not letting me cut it out. 
She's still alive at this point, okay? He does carve an inverted cross into her chest below her left breast. As she's dying, he's doing this, trying to get her heart out, carving this cross. Then he asked Satan. He asked his God. It's just like praying. So I know I say Satan, it sounds weird, but he prayed to his God. He prays to his God. I need I need to atone for my recent sin. And he gave him a response. You're on the right track, but more of a sacrifice is needed. More of a sacrifice from this woman is needed in order for me to forgive you for this transgression. I'm a, I'm going to say this perfectly. Lay your son's visage. That was kind of good, wasn't it? Sure. Lay your son's visage. That is from a Billy Idol song. I also want to read, do you know what that means? What does a visage mean? Mm. What's it kind of sound like? Mm. Visage. Well, what is, what is sans? Like sans serif and stuff? So it's, uh, Without? There you go. Without. So it's something without visage. Oh, eyes without a face. Billy Idol. There you go. That was a good clue. Yeah, yeah. So that's in the Billy Idol song. Then he's like, eyes without a face. You know, that's a good song. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Matthew chapter six, verses 22 through 23, quote in the, in the New King James version of the Bible, quote, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You may start to see a uh, pattern here. I mentioned the eyes without a face, the song written by Billy Idol and Steve Stevens released just one year earlier. It was Richard Ramirez's favorite song and that's over ACDC. <laughs> it was on Billy Idol's Rebel Yell. Le Yeah Sans Visage means eyes without a face and that is the film that Shram had graciously posted in the Discord for us to watch after this. Oh. It is a 1960s horror film, and it is about a surgeon who tries to graft the face of another woman onto his daughter after she's disfigured in an accident. But anyway, what do they say about eyes? It's the window to the soul. What would be the ultimate payback to make his master happy? I said he, he I guess couldn't cut out her eyes. What does he want but can't get? Her soul? Uh, it's not the soul, but at least it's the windows. So he wants her eyes? Starting on the left side of her face. Now, she is still dying at this point. She's been hacked up, three gunshot wounds, but he gets on top of her and starting on the left side of her face, starts meticulously cutting away her eyelid. He pulls it open like this. He pulls it. He's got the knife. He pulls the eyelid and he starts cutting. She ain't moving. (laughs) She ain't fucking moving. Jesus Christ. He gets that eyelid off. He goes to the other side and did the same thing. Pulls that eyelid out. (laughs) You know, those nice long lashes you girls love. Got those nice long lashes you guys work so hard on. Let me pull it out. It helps me get enough of the skin flap above the eyeball. That may have been a little too much. He remembered how hard it was getting through the windows of that house because of the screens and the screens are kind of like the eyelids. He just wanted to steal her soul and he needed to because he needed to repay for his earlier transgression of almost getting killed and not being able to carry out Satan's will. Satan saved him and he required a soul. The closest thing he could get to a soul was those eyeballs. He rifled through his pillowcase of stolen treasures from the house and he pulled out a small jewelry box. 
box, a family heirloom, small but big enough for what he wanted. Moments later, he rifled through his pillowcase, a haunting medley of stolen treasures echoing the silent screams of his victims. From its depths, he withdrew a small jewelry box, a family heirloom tarnished by time. It was small, inconspicuous, but it served its purpose chillingly well. Gently, he placed both eyes within. The soft click of the box echoed through the quiet home. He cut out her eyes and put it in a jewelry box. Now, this is what's haunting. I mean, that is that itself is haunting. But what did we talk about last time? The violence of all this turns him on. He gets a reward. Now, yeah, he transgressed and they didn't find any ejaculate at the scene because he didn't receive the full reward, but he did spend some time with that body. Now, think about it real hard. He is, let's be honest, he pulls up her nightgown and attempts to rape her body, dead or not dead yet. She doesn't have any eyes. Imagine that. I don't want to. How how effed up is that to do that with someone with their eyes cut out? I mean, how how gone does this person have to be mentally to to do that? He ain't right. right. He ain't right. Holy shit. He would stab her as she was breathing deeply. He stabbed her multiple times in the stomach, throat, and the vagina. The medical examiner said that she had slashes over her heart four to five inches long, eight other stab wounds to the chest, two to the two to the pubic area, and multiple stabbing and slashings to the throat. Obviously, as I said, he was obsessed with Jack the Ripper. And as he was growing up from Jack the Ripper was his first, his first view into that world. And you see a lot of that here right? You see a lot of that here. He then got obsessed with other movies that are all about the same, right? Nightmare on Elm Street. What does he do? Slashes, cuts out stuff. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. What does he do? Slashes, cuts out stuff. Friday the 13th. What does Jason do? Slashes, cuts out stuff. So now we see, he. I don't know if he was going to do this. If it wasn't for that shotgun thing, maybe he wouldn't have. But whatever it did completely changed who he is now and how he's going to be. We went over the other ones. They were bad, right? They were bad. But this is something else. This isn't shooting someone in the forehead and then running off. This is something else. So anyway, pretty bad. Agreed. (sighs) Jesus, I know. But yeah, well. So... Took his pillowcase after an hour or so of now he couldn't ejaculate, but I think you know his reward wasn't fully given to him because of his transgression of almost getting killed. But after that, he grabbed the VCR video camera, watches jewelry, shoved into a pillowcase, and even grabbed that shotgun in the other hand. He got back on the freeway. He drove like the devil, blood covered, mad at himself for almost being killed. A police a police car notices this guy's driving crazy. I mean, if he got stopped. That'd have been it. Okay, I gotta calm down. He's about to get on the freeway. A cop's behind him. Oh shit! I'm driving reckless, and I've got blood all over me. And I have I have human eyes in this jewelry, jewelry box. box. So that's that, that. That might be a questionable offense. So he slows down a little bit, but instead of just saying, "Okay, come on, come on, come on, come on," turn the other way, he says, "Satan, please." One more time. One more time. From the Night Stalker. Earlier, he had put a sticker on the rear bumper of the car that read, America, love it or leave it, knowing most cops were patriotic and less likely to pull over a driver who so openly proclaimed his love of country. It usually worked. It did tonight for him to reach the freeway and get on it without being stopped. Pretty smart. So he he has even thought about putting bumper stickers on the car. I mean, yeah. he is well versed in this crap. 
draft. But these mistakes, you know, they did find that footprint at the scene of the crime, that same footprint that they found at the condo eight days earlier. After washing out the blood, Richard immediately goes to his fence. The guy that sells all the jewelry, they don't ask questions. They don't know each other's name. They He kind of gives them a little smile. Like, uh, he knows what this shit is. Gets money for it. Ah, It's like that um merchant on the Resident Evil. Mm -hmm. I got some good wares for you, stranger, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. He gets quite a bit of money. Oh, I'll pay a pretty penny for that stranger. And he goes back, stealing the stolen car, finds a hooker, gets some oral sex, ditches the car, walks back to his, quote, rat-infested Cecil Hotel on main studio room. And he opens that box. He looks at those two eyes looking back at him, and he laughs. And that's where I'm stopping this story. Woo! Well, that was something. Did y'all like that or not? I knew that was kind of a short. No, that was great. I mean, disturbing, obviously, but great. I was, I'm going to try to put some of the background in there. I try to do that a little bit with Jack the Ripper, but it's, it's really hard to do. So, but let's just say, let's just say one thing right quick. What, what nationality is Richard Ramirez? He's Mexican, right? I, I, I guess some sort of like Latino. I yeah. Guess? So he's Mexican. His family are from Mexico. Okay. Now he wasn't born in Mexico, but pretty close to it. They had just immigrated over and half like he was the only brother out of three not born in America. Mm. What what I'm trying to get on here, if you remember the railroad killer we, we've done, same kind of thing. The a lot of the Mexican families are insanely, insanely religious mm -hmm. and devout. Mm -hmm. So how did he become a double worshiper? I know, right? It's a good question. It's a great question. We're we're in it here. I just want to say this one thing. When he when he was born on February 29th, 1960, it was a blessing. Quote, the father was overjoyed. He had now had four sons to carry on the Ramirez name. Who knew one of them might be famous someday? <laughs> Yeah, I guess uh, so. Anyway, well, I hope you guys like that. You know, that was um, pretty disturbing, I know. Very. But thank you for joining us. And we'll be back again tomorrow evening to do some headlines. Headlines Thursday for a story. Friday headlines, Saturday story. Until next time, good night, you lovely, lovely people. Kind of running this shit.